Hello, this is the CounterPoint Club host, Willie Braun. Welcome to an encore interview from Opus 3 of the CounterPoint Club. Today, we present our full interview with Mr. Dennis Beret from Episode 5, Play It Like Chamber Music. In the full episode, we discuss the intersections between playing in a chamber ensemble and a larger ensemble such as band or orchestra. First, in the history segment, Brandon investigates the connections between the early beginnings of the orchestra and chamber music genres. Next, Sarah looks at how chamber music techniques can be applied and used in orchestral setting. Today's interview was with violinist, violist, and conductor Mr. Dennis Bure of Tucson, Arizona. Mr. Bure has led a youth string orchestra program called Tucson Junior Strings since 1970. I grew up playing in Mr. Bure's orchestras all the way from fifth grade through the end of high school. TJS and Mr. Bure had a huge influence in my early years as a cellist, and his work continues to inspire me now in my career as a musician and educator myself. TJS features six levels of orchestras, all led by Mr. Bure. The youngest students are just starting on their musical journey as I was in elementary school, and the most advanced group plays standard professional level repertoire. Mr. Bure trains all six levels of orchestra to perform without a conductor. Yes, even the beginners learn to lead themselves through a performance without the guidance of an adult. It's pretty incredible to watch. We knew Mr. Bray would be a fantastic guest for our episode about the intersection of chamber music and large ensembles. We were so thrilled that we could feature him in the podcast and now are able to present this complete unabridged conversation. We hope you enjoy this full interview between myself and TCC host Justin Curries with Mr. Dennis Bray. Hello, Mr. Bray, and welcome to the Counterpoint Club. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, good, great. Awesome to have you for sure. Yeah. So we are here today in this episode talking about the intersection of chamber music and orchestral playing. We know that's a really big part of what you do at Tucson Junior Strings. So can you tell us a little bit about your role at Tucson Junior Strings, both as a conductor and educator? Certainly. Um, Well, you may have heard me say that I grew up without training. I was the first classically oriented musician in my hometown in northern Wyoming in 20 years at least. And I just taught myself uh, when I got to a place where I was introduced to Tucson Junior Springs, which was founded actually by the woman I later married. I was kind of given carte blanche to develop the program. And there were like 34 kids when I first joined. Our, our highest enrollment's been 250, but we kind of average 150. But I set it up for two things, one of which is to be able to read music well. That is for my, we have six levels of orchestra divided by technical accomplishment. And my first level is kids eight years old sometimes and things like this. They haven't learned to read notes or count. And so I make that an absolute mainstay of the entire, you know, first three levels of the Tucson Junior Tricks that they must and in and, and, and our sectional rehearsals of every single rehearsal is half full rehearsal and half sectional. And so I get all my sectional coaches who put these kids through saying note names as they play D, E, F, oh, F sharp, D, you know, and one and two and three and four. And so that they learn how it's on a progressive basis. So by the time they get to high school, they are literate musicians, literally. Okay, that's the first thing I base it on. The next thing is, to me, music is a communication skill. And what that simply means is if you're going to play together, you got to know what each other are doing. You know, so we, we 
train our kids for all six levels without a conductor. And that means that the first pairs in each of the sections, you know, first violin, second violin, cello, cello, bass, they become the leaders. Okay, and we train everybody in each orchestra how to start an, or, or an orchestra, you know, with physical cues, how to stay together, how to do, how to lead dynamics and and tempo changes. Remember that? Oh yeah. <laughs> how to bring a piece to an end and give the piece its overall correct feeling to the audience. Now that's all visible and awareness situation. If your first violins, if you're sitting first chair, first violin, you've got an entrance with the bell section, you're going to look at the first chair of the And so it's communication within your orchestra because if you give the physical cues and everybody else in the orchestra is trained to follow you and follow the other leaders so that we all meet in the middle with uh, appropriate intonation, appropriate rhythm, and good bowing style or matching bowing style. And uh, we, we train everybody to be a first pair player. And then for the concert, I'll pick the people that, that do the best, but we've got a policy of uh, making sure that everybody learns how to lead. So what we do is we change first pairs with every piece. Sooner or later, whether you want to or not, you got to set first pair and take the responsibility. And what this whole thing does, first of all, is it kind of dumbs down your ego because your job is to do what's good for the group. And as these those hot shots that walk in thinking they're good, wow, they come out a different person, I can tell you. <laughs> but and when you're when you're not a first chair player, you're sitting in the section, we teach how to be an aware section player. Be aware of what's going on beside you, around you, in front of you, and even behind you sometimes if you're listening. If you watch and you listen and you coordinate. And you play into, okay, well, we're supposed to crescendo here. All right, here goes the first chair player. I'm going to start using more of them. Oh, yeah, there it goes. Okay. And and it's total communication for the musical result. And then you all kind of agree on what the musical content is and what you're trying to get across. And you do it. And you come out a team player. Now. Those are the two basic things that we do that a lot of people don't. Okay. Uh, we're a 501c3 nonprofit and, and we work with a kid that walks in off the street or we recruit or whatever, but we try to send them out into the world to be that kind of a human being, not just a player, but someone who can take the lead when it's, it's required, someone that can be a follower when it's required. I've got a great story. Uh, one of our kids that started out with us in our second level orchestra, a little guy, and stayed with it clear up to our top level orchestra, what we call chamber one. And then in the senior year, beginning of the senior year, his father got transferred to a job in Philadelphia. So they moved to Philadelphia. The kids started taking lessons, violin lessons, from somebody in the Philadelphia Orchestra, which is a big deal as far as I'm concerned. Greater Philadelphia Youth Orchestra, which is high school and college students. And of course, Curtis. Institute students are there on auditioning as well. This kid came out concert master of the Greater Philadelphia Youth Orchestra, and the conductor came to him after the audition and said, Do you know why you're concert master? No, sir. Well, it's because not only do you play the notes as well as anybody, but you know how to lead. You are a trained leader. 
that kid is now at Juilliard, and he's already been, uh, shall we say, um, scouted by the New York Philharmonic. Okay, uh, the skills that, and this is what what we get back, and what makes it so happy is that the skills that we train are good for everything you do. You know, you go on to your job. We had a guy that rose to a senior executive position in Boeing Aircraft. He he came right out and said it. Hey, it's because I knew how to lead my people. Tons of stories, but that's what we call chamber music is communications music. Now, how does that transfer into a full orchestra? Well, I just told you one example. Uh, we just got some notices of some kids that were concert master at Cleveland Institute top orchestra this last year or one of a big competition at the World School of Music in Florida. Uh, we got a bunch of things back like that recently that says, hey, thanks. <laughs> and that's what, what, we, what we call it. That's how we feel about it. That's why I'm 78 years old and still going strong because I love it. <laughs> well, um, I think you also pretty much eloquently answered um, our second question. Um, which was going to be, uh, you know, how does chamber music influence your orchestra? But um, just to pivot a little bit um, on the fly here, when I met you, we met at your summer uh, camp up in the mountain. And and I just yeah. want to ask you, um, because in that, at that camp, you know, there seems to be smaller chamber groups than larger chamber groups, and that's what kind of we coached. So there's a lot of breaking off into smaller groups. Um, but do you find that uh, the students in your orchestra come out with an uh, understanding on the other end of chamber music, things that they bring from the orchestra experience to chamber music? What, what would your thoughts be on that? Well, okay, the... the, the, the most obvious is a sense of responsibility to your own part. Right. You got to know your own stuff dead cold and, and be prepared to do it and be prepared to work with other people because you're sitting there following the conductor. You're working with him. You're trying to tune into him or her. As the case may be. So it, it's all, and then my word communication is the key really, because what you're doing when you sit in a full orchestra trying to match the people around you. What does a good section player do? They try to match style, etc., with what's going on. They listen for articulations, okay, and it's all what you do in a string quartet. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That answers your question, I think. Yeah, that, that was excellent. Yeah. So the next thing we wanted to ask a little bit was about how you uh, choose how, how you make your seating in, in the ensembles, because I know most orchestras kind of go based on hierarchy of who's, you know, supposed to be the best player or the best, most advanced musician. And maybe if you could talk a little bit about competition within a section versus uh, what it was like for me growing up um, and playing in your ensembles, which felt very uncompetitive. We don't believe in competition. We believe in teamwork. Now, we have... For the upper-level orchestras, a, a given rehearsal, when we say, okay, we're going to pick first chairs, and I'll try out anybody in the first chairs of their section wants to try out. you got to want to try it, but 
then then you get to see who is most effective leading the orchestra, and they we let them lead so that we see who follows them. You know, who follows whom, and then we can pick. Okay, well, you're going to do this one. You're better on this piece. Okay, you're better on this one. We change first chairs with every single piece. We do that uh, without competition at the lower levels. In fact, when when we have our our first three levels of orchestra, we call them the sinfonia levels, three, two, and one. We try to make it seem like a team rather than like a competition. And so we don't have the competition for first chairs. I'll just watch them as they're playing and say, okay, well, you did pretty good on this one. Let's try you. Or someone looks like they got the stuff that they, they aren't you know, poking out there. Say, okay, now you do this this piece here and you show us how it's supposed to be. You know, and so it's not competition it's more of like all right somebody's got a lead let me add it mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah i think we did with you huh? yeah yeah i remember i remember being a little fifth grader in symphonia too and and getting really excited when you chose me to lead a piece <laughs> and also on the other hand i remember when i uh finally made it all the way to the top into chamber one into the top level orchestra um i was oh. this little freshman in high school and you know it was mostly you know, it was all all levels of high school in, in that ensemble. And you had put me first chair, second cello for the Mendelssohn octet for the fourth movement, which meant I had to start the orchestra. And here I was, this little freshman with all of the, you know, the upperclassmen that I had been revering since I was a little kid, you know, seeing all these people who are so great and so talented. And now I was in the same orchestra with them and I had to start them. And it was, I mean, it was a little intimidating, but it was also this really fantastic experience for me to get to do that. And also useful. And, and stuck. You got the idea. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We recently played the uh, Mendelssohn Octet with the uh, Miro members. What was that? Wow. Two years ago. Yeah. So um, lessons that uh, <laughs> that move through the ages and are and are useful, um, specifically sometimes <laughs> later in life. Oh yeah. Hey, you're never too old to learn. Yep. <laughs> okay. I'm still learning. If I go through a year with my discovery, new and valuable about playing my instrument, I feel like I wasted a year. And I'm still playing. I got a viola recital coming up in the fall. Ooh, exciting. Nice. And, and one of them is a violin sonata, Schumann violin sonata. Mm. And I've got a piece that I wrote in, in, in the chronic, or 12-tone viola. And then the Vitale Chacon, which is good on it. Yep. Okay. So, yeah, so I think our next question is, again, something you've touched on a little bit. How do you train leadership at all ages and all levels? How do you train everyone to lead from every seat? Uh, Okay, and we're talking visible cues. Okay, what does a conductor do when they give a downbeat? They give a preparatory beat for one. I train my students to go for play. Okay, or if you are... You know, digging through a, a tough section, you got one and two and three and little cues, little motions, so the people clue, clue in on you if you're the leader, and you just give a visible cue as as, as you need, mm-hmm. uh, and you lead dynamics with the size of your cues. You know, if you go down to little, 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 you got pianissimo, you know, etc. It's it's just a matter of you show that the people can interpret. 
This is a, a fun question, and um, I'm sure this answer changes possibly from year to year, but what are some of your favorite pieces of chamber music to perform and play? Oh, geez. Well, <laughs> I am a Schubert fanatic, okay? And, uh, of course, Death and the Maiden. Yes. My favorite piece of all time is the Schubert C major Dutello quintet. Wonderful <laughs> piece, yeah. Also, I like the uh, Dvorak Quintet Open 77 with bass. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I've, I've performed them all. I've got a story about the, the C major. Is I was an undergraduate at the University of Colorado, and they kept bringing in guest ensembles to perform for us. And uh, they brought in this older gentleman's group of, of uh, Italian group of quintet, two cello quintet players, and they played a beautiful you know, concert, and then they finished with the Schubert C major. And uh, and these two old men had kind of the two cello duet part, and you could just hear them blend together emotionally. You just heard them melt. And I'm sitting there going, oh my God. And I, I started to cry. I cried. Amazing. Listening to him, and that's when that became my favorite piece. And I've gone out and played it every chance I get. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's a fun one. Another interesting question for me personally as well is what are uh, the differences between playing violin and viola in a chamber ensemble? I remember we played a a piece together and um, at the summer camp, and I think we were you were on viola that time. Well, uh, okay. My first two college degrees are on violin. Okay, my third degree or my master's degree is on viola. But what chamber music is is a trade-off among people. Now, sure, maybe the first violin gets, but sometimes he's got to do the upchucks as well. You know, yep. and sometimes the viola, as as opposed to some orchestral works, almost all things from Haydn forward. The viola gets the tune now and then. Man, you just play your heart out. Okay, so when you're in any chair, if you got the lead, you lead. If you got the, the accompaniment, you accompany, and you do it sensitively. It doesn't matter. There's no real difference between the instruments as far as I'm concerned. And I've been a concert master. I've been a pilot, dead quintet, whatever. But I don't like J.S. Box said... When somebody asked him, he said, well, when I'm not playing keyboard, I prefer to play viola because that puts me in the middle of the harmony and then I can hear the whole piece. Bach said it. It's in print. I agree. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm biased, though, but yeah, yeah, definitely. Who isn't? <laughs> well, hey, part of my mission in life is creating violists, you know. Oh, and you've done a good job of that. I know quite a few of your students who are amazing violists. You've also had many great students who are my friends as well, who were only violinists and stayed on the violin track as well. <laughs> way, to, way to hold that against them, you know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're still good people. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell Sarah I said that, okay? <laughs> I remember the last time we saw you down in Tucson, you told us you were working on a memoir, right? Yeah. Is that still in the works? And is there, what might we read it at some point? <laughs> Done. Oh, it's done. Okay. First book is poetry, and it's 
published and available on Amazon. Okay. Okay. My second book is Publishers, and she's had some personal problems, so a little late coming out, and that's my war experiences. I went through Vietnam. I got shot up a bit. Things like that. Okay. And it definitely changed my music career. Let me tell you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the third book is about a friendship. I had a friendship for 70 years with a guy that I met when I was yay tall. And uh, we never had a fight. We never had a disagreement. It was a perfect friendship. So I wrote a book about perfect friendships. <laughs> okay, and then I've got one about fish up. It's a statement of description of 88 fishing trips I have taken. Okay. Then I have my biography, autobiography, and called Dennis Moray, My Life, Minuses and Pluses, Parenthesis, Pluses One. <laughs> nice. Do you have a story you might be willing to share with us from, from or preview from, from one of your books? Because I know I remember growing up listening to all of your amazing stories. I wonder if you have one you might share with us today. Uh, well, I mean, let me give you a... Uh, Minus plus, okay? When I went to start my bachelor's degree at a, a Mountain States Area University music school, and the, the or, um, orchestra director slash violin instructor was a psycho case. And he, he had a bachelor's and master's out of Juilliard and associate concert master of the Cleveland Orchestra and a bunch of things like that. But he had a philosophy of teaching that says, he had to break down whatever the student himself believed in about himself so he could replace it with things the guy taught him. In other words, blow away everything that the student likes about themselves. And this guy was, was you know, he was deadly. There were five of us that came to study with him in a two-year period who had been concert masters of our respective high school all-states. Okay? And... I'm the only one that survived. It's the two of them in middle institutions, one of them into business administration, which is kind of the same. Okay. And <laughs> you guys would appreciate that. And then one became a minister in his church. Okay. I'm the only one that wouldn't quit. You know, I, I broke out of hives all over my body and got an ulcer and my fingernails died and came out, and, but I wouldn't give up. Okay. And I hated that man for years. And then, when well, here I am in, in Tucson, I camp up on the mountain that you know about, and I bring in what we call a senior coach, which is somebody who is high profile in the paper visit and have them give us classes and play with our faculty, et cetera. And I got to thinking, I don't want to hate anymore. So I invited this guy to come be our senior coach. And he came, and I programmed us into together to perform. Okay. And here we are in performance, playing our hearts out. And there's a place where the first violin, which is, was him, and the viola part, me, had an entrance together after a rest. And I'm watching him to coordinate the entrance, and he's not set to come in. So I come in and save the performance. Afterwards, he thanked me profusely, complimented me on my musicianship and on the camp and on my students and the works. And I put my hate away. Amazing. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, and I've done that with, with somebody else. 
from Tucson. An ex-concert master of the Tucson had to bury the hatchet with, you know? Mm-hmm. Not any yep. good. So, is that a good story? Oh, that's perfect. I, I love yeah. that so much. Um, and so much of what you said just really resonates with the themes that we've had on this podcast so far. Um, and you haven't heard any of them yet because <laughs> um, some of them haven't even been released yet. So um, no one knows about them but us. And you've you've hit on some really good things that we really wanted to talk about. Um, and so it's it's all called truth and we all know the truth, don't we? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Even yeah. the violin, even the violinists. <laughs> well, hey, tell them, tell them hi, okay? We will. And thank you so much for doing this with us today. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you again. And we really hope we can get down to Tucson some point again and, and come, come up to the mountain and come work with your students again. Well, guys, thanks for, for even thanking them. <laughs> thanks for coming on. Now, this is uh, great. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing this wonderful conversation with us, Mr. Beret. We are so grateful to you for taking the time to talk with us. It's always a pleasure to speak with you and so great to be able to feature you and Tucson Junior Strings on the Counterpoint Club. Thanks, Mr. Beret. The Counterpoint Club is brought to you by the nonprofit organization Chamber Music Madness. The hosts are Sarah Pizzichemi, Brandon Vance, Justin Curries, and Willie Braun of the Skyros Quartet. Our producer is Sharon Wong. The theme music for the Counterpoint Club was composed by Brandon Vance and performed by the Skyros Quartet. The managing director for Chamber Music Madness is Virginia Wright. Thank you to our Chamber Music Madness sponsors, For Culture, ACMP Associated Chamber Music Players, the Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, and Arts Fund. Visit our website, thecounterpointclub.org, for our guest artist's bio and additional resources. You can listen to The Counterpoint Club wherever you get your podcasts.